Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 369 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the former heavyweight world title challenger, <laughs> Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Chambers. Oh, that, that was good, Joey. That was pretty damn good. Um, hey, man, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing good, especially now. How about you, sir? Yeah, I mean, I didn't even ask if you were good this week. I just did the uh, the announcing. So, uh, yeah, I'm good. And you knew what was coming. Always have yeah. to start the show <laughs> by making sure you're okay. Moving on to the review part. We're going to fly through this. Um, obviously, if you've listened to the show before, we do the review part. Then we welcome our special guest this week. It's going to be former WBA super lightweight world champion Regis Progray. He's in a big fight for a vacant title later this month and then of course in part two the news and the preview part let's start with the review part we're going to start here uh, with one that took place last thursday so a week ago today thursday november 3rd at the quiet cannon country club in montebello california over here sergey bohachuk now 21 on one another knockout 21 uh, knockouts, you know, every single person he's fought, he's knocked out, apart from when he lost um, to, I think, uh, I keep forgetting the guy's name, I think it was Brandon Adams, but anyway, he was able, on this occasion, to knock out Aaron Coley in just in just round two there for the vacant WBC Continental America's Super Welterweight title, um, good stuff there for Bohachuk, still not quite sure what the plan is with him though because you've got to you've got to maneuver him very carefully if you want him to still get the knockouts but um you know we've seen him step up and it was it was you know a sensible slow steady step up when he did end up getting found out and knocked out himself uh, moving out now to this one it took place at the Rudolf Weber Arena in Oberhausen in Germany over here um, it was firework night in the UK um, November the 5th Zan Kostobutsky, now 19 and 0, I think with with um, 18 KOs, he was able to knock out in three rounds Hussein Mohammed, who was undefeated. Now he's 17 and 1. He loses his uh, loses his O. It was for the WBC International Heavyweight Title. I did say someone was going to be getting knocked out in that one, and it was Mohammed. Um, Moving out now to this one, uh, I guess it was the big one, it was live on the zone. it was at the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi. Um, let's start with the undercard here, let's start with the undercard. Um, hmm. Where should we start on the undercard? Uh, Campbell Hatton, let's start with Campbell Hatton, he got in there with Dennis Bartos who... 
I don't want to say he's a journeyman because he's, you know, he was nine and five going in. But I've seen him get knocked out by flyweights, and he was here, I believe, at um, at one forty against Campbell Hatton, and he didn't have much notice, if I'm not mistaken. So Campbell Hatton now nine and zero, a first round knockout there against Dennis Bartos. Um, he's now nine and six. Um, we had former world champion, friend of the show, Cal Yafai, now twenty seven and one. Um, a unanimous decision in the end over 10 rounds against Gerald Packlar. However, he was down in the first round, Kalyafi. It was a real shock. Um, Gerald Packlar, who I think was from the Philippines, if I'm not mistaken, now 16-6 and six with three draws. He was actually, um, you know, to, to, to bet on him to win the fight in the first round by knockout by knockout was 125 to 1 and he put Cal Yafai down and you know he was very 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 unsteady when he got back up Cal Yafai seemed like he was on shaky legs I think he got caught a few times as well in the next couple of rounds and just he did not look right I think he'd been out the ring for about three years so obviously there's that ring rust but yeah it was it was not good it was really not good um yeah, you know, quite quite a shock, to be honest with you. And if he would have got knocked out by this guy, then that was it. He would have been forced into retirement, I think. Um, also on the card, his brother, his younger brother, Galau Yafai, the Olympic gold medalist, now 3-0 and as a pro. Um, a very close one, though. He was able to win a split decision over 10 rounds against Gohan Garcia, now 12-2 and with a draw. Obviously, they're moving Galau Yafai really, really fast. It was a defense here of his WBC international flight weight title however a lot of people felt he lost this fight um i wasn't really paying too much attention to the fight in all honesty i know it was close but yeah i mean perhaps maybe they should pump the brakes with him uh, there's no need to rush him he's still young as far as i'm aware i think he's the youngest of the three yafi brothers um you know i think his, his 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 future's bright they don't give away olympic gold medals of course for free and um i think he can do big things but let's let's not you know, let's not rush him. He he doesn't need to be a Lomachenko. You know, I, I don't really get it. But then, I suppose, really and truly, they were they were trying to rush him because Eddie Hearn was talking about maybe having one or two more fights than a world title. That would mean he would become the quickest Englishman in history to become world champion if he was to win the world title fight, of course. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's a, it's a nice... Um, uh, it's, a, it's a nice motivating and tempting, um, you know, uh, thing to become world champion that quickly. But it's not necessary, especially if you're not ready. Don't rush yourself. You only get one start to your career. Um, moving on to the the bigger fights, I guess. Let's start with this one here. Chantel Cameron now 17-0. and 0, A unanimous decision there over 10 two-minute rounds against Jessica McCaskill, who's now 12-3. and 3. She loses for the first time uh, since losing to Katie Taylor all them years ago. Um... Yeah, it was for the IBF, the IBO, WBA, WBC, and WBO world titles. Three of them were vacant, so Chantel successfully defended her IBF and WBC, but now she also wins the IBO, WBA, and WBO. Um, really dominant performance from her, actually. I'm going to run through the rounds. The first round I gave to Chantel Cameron, um, I felt McCaskill was repeatedly walking into big shots, and 
already, even in that two minutes, I was thinking, what on earth are her tactics here? She looked really clumsy. She was walking in sometimes with both arms extended like she was coming in for a hug or something. It was weird stuff. Round two, I gave to Cameron. Round three, I gave to Cameron. Again, McCaskill seemed no match for Chantel. I didn't know if it was a weight thing, but she looked awful. Obviously, she was coming down in weight, but I touched on it um, in the past as well. She's not a big... Um, a big 147. I mean, she's come in at 143, stuff like that in the past. I don't know. Something looked wrong, though. She didn't look herself. Her feet were really, really slow. She looked really flat-footed. And Cameron was in full control. Um, I gave Cameron round 4, 5, and 6 as well. I gave round 7 to McCaskill. A little bit of a sympathetic round. But she did actually cause a cut on the bridge on the bridge of the nose of, um, of, of, of Cameron in that round, round 7. Round 8, I gave to McCaskill again. I felt she was finally starting to get through a little bit more. But obviously too little too late for me i did give her that that eighth round round nine was a really close round uh the punch of the round was certainly one scored for mccaskill but i felt chantel uh could have nicked it, it was really close and i think chantel was admittedly slowing down a bit at that point in the in the in the ninth round there um yeah if i if i was pushed if I was pushed, I'd give it to McCaskill. And then round 10, the final round, I gave to Cameron. So on my card, 7-3 there after 10 rounds. She was the rightful winner. I would love to see the rematch at 1-4-7, just simply because it's a fantastic opportunity for Chantel to become an undisputed two-weight undefeated world champion that's incredible but of course selfishly i would also love the fight with katie taylor i don't see why that can't be made and there's other great domestic fights if um if 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 chantel's willing to go up or whatever obviously you've got the likes of terry harper natasha jonas all the girls like that um what else did we have? We had, oh, this one was tough to take. Shavkat Zonrakimov, now 17-0 and with a draw. He was able to TKO in round nine. Zelfa Barrett, who's now 28-2. and It was for the vacant IBF World Super Featherweight title. Oh, what a punch in the gut this really was. Um... I'm going to fly through the rounds and tell the story here. Round one, a decent round for Zelfa Barrett. I personally wasn't sure he won it, but, you know, he came out. He tried a few of those screw shot uppercuts that he likes to do. I think his feet were much faster than those of Rakimov. Um, but Barrett, I didn't think, was showing the best head movement. Um, but Rakimov wasn't exactly wasn't exactly dominating or anything. It was a close round. Um and I felt that the trouble Zelfa was having, or I should say the success Rakimov was having, maybe sounds better, was that he was just able to walk straight into range. He didn't have to do much to get into range um, and get close up to the body of Zelfa Barrett. Round two, I, I thought was a clear round for Zelfa Barrett. It was a really good watch. Um, Barrett was under pressure and he seemed at times to just hold the gloves up and take the shots. It didn't look too great, but sometimes he would throw a nice counter and, you know, he, he would catch Rakimov with, with a fantastic shot here and there. Rakimov didn't seem phased by the power, though, it would appear at that stage. Barrett did also land some beautiful body shots in that round and, yeah, snatched a round for me in round two. Round three, an unbelievable round for Zelfa Barrett. He staggered Rakimov early in the round. Then there was a moment where Barrett supposedly hit 
hit Rakamov low and he was complaining to the referee Rakamov but the referee didn't call it he said continue boxing and Barrett did keep punching uh, Rakamov wasn't happy Zelfa was boxing fantastically and then boom a counter uppercut off the ropes drops Rakamov an absolute peach of a punch a 10-8 round there in the third for Zelfa Barrett I was screaming you know in my living room at the <laughs> at the iPad on the zone I was so pleased because I didn't expect this from Zelfa Barrett I felt that Rakamov was good enough to walk through him really I didn't give Zelfa much of a chance as much as I wanted him to win round four a Barrett round for me again I felt he was boxing out of his skin um, I wasn't entirely sure he would be able to keep it up of course round five I gave to Rakamov he did start to kind of rally back um Again, it was arguably the first round of the fight that he'd won, and it certainly was the case on Chris Mannix's scorecard, um, for whatever that's worth. He did give the fifth round to Rakimov. He gave the previous four to Zelfa Barrett, including the 10-8 round, of course, that I mentioned. Um, I I felt Zelfa did slow a bit. I was, I was hoping that the gas tank wasn't fading. Barry Jones on commentary, who, by the way, was fantastic all night, he made a point by saying um, it's down to discipline now for Barrett. And I felt he was spot on with that comment there. It was down to discipline. Um, but yeah, he lost the, the fifth round. He lost the sixth round on my card. I, I did give him round seven. Um, I think he just picked his shots better, Zelfa Barrett, in that round. So he came back a bit. And he was having to dig deep, clearly. Dig deep, you know, deeper than he'd ever dug before. Um, I was really proud of his efforts to get that far. Obviously, I touched on some of the, you know, some of the bad luck he's had outside of the ring. I gave Zelfa Barrett round eight again. I felt the round was close, though. It really was. And then round nine... The, the fight just completely got turned on its head. Um, Barrett's balance was all over the place. I'm not sure even now what happened. He seemed like he got maybe caught with a shot in the temple. I don't know. There was talk that maybe his equilibrium was off. There was talk that maybe he'd injured his leg. No one was quite sure. And he goes down twice out of nowhere. And obviously the towel came in from his uncle, Pat. Um, yeah, it looked like maybe something was wrong with his leg when I watched a replay. Um, I still, like I say, haven't heard anything since. I'm sure he's probably spoke about it, but I don't really watch, you know, many interviews and stuff. Um, but yeah, he, I'm sure, was absolutely devastated. And all I felt he needed to do, and all many people felt he needed to do, was just stay on his feet. And he was obviously in round nine. If he could have made it to the to the decision, I think he'd already won the fight. But obviously he couldn't. And that's why fights are 12 rounds, unfortunately. Um... Yeah, it was it was a shame because you know I didn't give him much of a chance, and then he he boxed out of his skin and ended up not reaping the reward for it. Um, a real shame to all come tumbling down uh, very quickly in the ninth round, and then of course the main event, Dimitri Bivol, now twenty one and zero, a unanimous decision there over twelve rounds, a successful defense of his WBA Super World Light Heavyweight title against Gilberto Ramirez de Mexico. There we go. There we go. Feel good again. Um, <laughs> um, I I thought that Bivol would win quite you know, quite comfortably. Um, I always did. I've never rated Ramirez too much. I think he's a decent fighter, but I always kind of felt that to get to 44-0, and 0, the record was inflated. It really was. Um, Bivol has impressed us many, many times. Um, you know, such a brilliant boxer. They were talking about his statistics. Apparently, he is, of all the top boxers out there, he's the guy that 
takes the least amount of punches. Like he's his defense apparently is better than that of Shakur Stevenson's, which is kind of amazing because you don't really see Bivol on the back foot tucking up, making people miss much. He kind of stands in front of you, really. He's just an excellent boxer with a great judge of distance um, and good head movement. Um, um, the weird thing is that Bivol actually came in a quarter of a pound heavier than Ramirez, which is kind of funny. But um, no, the fight itself, I gave round uh, round one to Bivol. I gave round two to Ramirez. I gave round three to Ramirez. So I felt he started he started okay, Ramirez. Um, I'm going through this really quickly now. Round four, I gave Bivol. Round five, I gave Bivol. At that point, I felt the fight was really very tactical. Uh, both men were really cautious, doing their best not to make you know many mistakes. Round six, I gave to Bivol. Round seven, I gave to Bivol. It was a big round. He nailed Ramirez on the ropes with some heavy shots. And Ramirez, I felt at that point, was still yet to make a mark. We talked about the big size. We talked about the punching power. We didn't really see it. Round eight, a Bivol round again I felt the fight was slipping away from Ramirez um, he couldn't seem to get in a groove Bivol was bossing things a lot of people in the build-up again were saying that they wouldn't be surprised if Ramirez were to win the fight and pull off the upset and that Bivol wouldn't and couldn't win this fight easily um, but he was proving them all wrong like I say I wasn't surprised um, I gave round 9 to Bivol I gave round 10 to Ramirez and I gave rounds 11 and 12 both to Bivol so I think in the end let me let me count how many rounds I gave to Ramirez. I gave him uh, round two, round three, and round ten. So about nine three on my card there for Bibble. Um, I don't know if you saw any of that card at all, Eddie. Uh, but if you yeah, if you did see it, let me know. And also. Um, if you didn't see it, what's your take on Bivol beating a much, much, much bigger guy and completely a different a different body shape to that of Canelo last time out? Well, actually, I did watch it, and I was like, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was doing a couple. We were doing a couple things. We had this. Uh, uh, we were trying out this new boxing video game. I think the same day, the same day as the fight, so we were kind of watching them on. But <laughs> we had one on TV here, and then one on the on, on the on the iPad. So. I was watching it. Um, uh, Bivol did a lot of good things in the fight. I mean, being that the style was completely different and the size was completely different to what he had faced with uh, Canelo, he did a good job in adjusting. I mean, obviously, you know, you have to be able to adjust from from fight to fight. I mean, there's no thing where you go and, you know, just because you're fighting a different guy that you can't, you know, you're not going to be able to do it or you're not in you know, the camp you have. Oh, you just can't, there can't be any excuses like that. You know what I mean? So you got to be able to go in there and fight whoever's in front of you and do the best possible, the best you could possibly do. So, um, I, you know, you can't expect nothing less. I mean, and he, and he did a professional uh, job. He did a really good job in, in controlling um, the distance as much as he could, picking up the pace at, the, at times and, and, and pressing them a little bit, um, getting inside the range. And he's a southpaw too. A tall southpaw is kind of, it could be difficult, man. It could be really, really difficult. I can give you an example of, of, of how it was for me when I learned how to fight softball. I learned what a tall softball. So um, for him to be able to, you know, go out there and, and, and take care of business. Like I said, I've seen some of the things that I do and what he was doing with southpaws, like where he would go into the power, trying to draw the power hand so he can get, you know, some advantages off of that, maybe some, you know, bring some some uh, straight left hand, I mean, straight right hands, not left hands, straight left hands down the pike, and then following up with that jab. I like that 2-1 that he throws, too. 
really gave Canelo a lot of trouble, and I see that working for him. That's just one of his things. He throws a lot of straight shots. Throws some hooks in there, but he throws a lot of straight shots. So um, it worked. It worked for him to the perfection. You know, early on he was struggling and trying to deal with the range and the southpaw style uh, that he that he brought. Um, and, and Ramirez was doing a good job in certain ways, making it making it difficult, making him uncomfortable. But as the fight wore on, he started to catch his groove. And you can see him, like I've seen him, there was a couple of different times he would throw, you know, four or five punch combinations at him trying to land each, you know, trying to be as accurate as, as possible. But, I mean, you know, you're not going to land every single every single shot in a combination like that, especially at the elite level. So, but he did do well. He, he, played, he landed some of the shots. He, you know, he made him uncomfortable. He landed a couple of good shots. Like he got, you know, I don't want to say staggered him, but he like got the better of it. Uh, you know, maybe not, like I said, maybe not staggered, but he kind of got his attention, let's say. And, uh, you know, overall, though, overall, got to give him credit. He did good. It wasn't one of the, my favorite fights to watch. And then the style and the way they mixed wasn't – it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't overly exciting, in my opinion. And maybe it was because I wasn't necessarily interested or know much about the other guy. Um, but all, all in all, a nice workman-like performance. He did a good job. He took care of business. He, he you know, he put out there that he still – one of, if not one of the best at the, in that division. So, uh, you know, he obviously still got to deal with, um, ah, what's his name? Better uh, BF. Yeah, he, he still got to deal with Better BF. That's going to be, a, and it's not going to be an easy one, obviously. <laughs> Most people will be picking Better BF, but uh, with his recent work that he's done, he's built a pretty good resume to people to say, hey, look, you can't just look overlook this guy. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And moving on to the final card that took place last week. It, it again was on the Saturday at the Armory in Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA. I actually came up with a catchphrase. There's no harmony in the Armory. And then I think they robbed it. And I saw a few a few different people using it, but whatever. I didn't I didn't I didn't copyright it in time, I guess. <laughs> um, on the undercard over here, Julian J. Rock Williams out of Philly, friend of the show, now 28 and 3 with a draw, a unanimous decision over eight rounds for him against Rolando Mancia, who's now 18 and 12 with a draw. Mancia was deducted a point in round five. He kept losing his mouthpiece. Um, also on the card, Andre Durrell with a TKO in, in the 10th and final round. Um, he was the underdog as well going in. He's now 29 and 3, a TKO in that 10th from final round against Unieski Gonzalez, now 21 and 5. Like I said, Darrell, the underdog going in. Um, if you would have backed him for a knockout late on, that would have been serious money there, but I don't know if anyone did. Um, but yeah, great stuff there for Andre Darrell. Good stuff for the Darrell family to, you know, to get a knockout win just um, a couple weeks after being on the end of a knockout loss, of course, the the, the other brother, Anthony, um, friend of the show, Anthony. And elsewhere on this card, we had Jason Banana Rosario lose. He was knocked out in round five. He was down in round two as well. He's now 23-4, and four, the former world champion with a draw, I should mention. He was knocked out by Brian Mendoza, who's now 21-2. and two. I mean, you know... Rosario was the favourite just, like the odds were close, and I thought 
Why? Why are the odds close? I mean, Rosario, you know, former world champion, decent puncher, stuff like that. I remember him, you know, beating up J-Rock. And I I had never seen Brian Mendoza fight. And I thought, you know, I looked at his record. No real standout names, really. Maybe just one or two that I knew. And I thought, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Like, why are the odds close? I mean, I don't think he's going to win. But... Rosario was 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 pretty bad. I mean, he had a couple rounds. I think maybe rounds like three and four, where he seemed to come back into it a little bit after getting dropped. But in the end, you know, yeah, I'm not sure he seems finished. And and it's been a very kind of quick up and down career, I think, for him. And then the main event, David Morrell, the Cuban, now eight and zero. Um, I expected him to get the knockout. I thought he could maybe get the knockout within the first half of the fight, but no, he managed to get the knockout in the 12th and final round. He takes the O away from Idos Yebosinuli, who everyone was struggling to pronounce that name. I'm, I'm glad it wasn't just me last week. He's now 16-1. and um, Got to be careful here because um, Yebosinuli, as we speak, is still in a coma um, following his knockout loss. He was placed into a medically induced coma after the fight. Um, he took a, a, a real beating, actually, over the 12 rounds. Um, I really thought that the stoppage could come in the first half, like I say, and I think Morel had moments, but I don't think he really stepped on the gas until later on in the fight, and I was struggling, really, to give Yebosinuli pretty much more than maybe one or two rounds. I mean, it was one-sided. And um, as the fight wore on, he was just taking more and more of a beating. And now, of course, in the aftermath, um, everyone says, you know, hindsight's a great thing. Now everyone's saying, why didn't the corner throw the towel in in round seven, round eight? You know, why, why did they allow him to take that beating? Well, it's easy to say that now, obviously, because we know what's happened. But they in the corner were saying, you've only got another six minutes left, champ, and you're going to be world champion, things like this which you know looked looked more and more unlikely as the fight wore on um, a successful defense there for Morel of his WBA world super middleweight title uh, Yabusinuli down twice in that 12th and final round and also deducted a point for holding Eddie did you want to say something yeah yeah it's just it's just to the to the to the folks that will you know watch fights and you know oh, you know and then after the after the fight's over oh man they should have stopped it early they should have It'll be the same people that were like, why they stop it so soon? True. Or why did they stay? You know, and, and, and it's like you gotta you, you gotta understand this is a different difficult sport. It's a really dangerous sport. The more to, sometimes you'll be in there and, and, and the fight doesn't even really seem that bad. It might goes back and forth. Maybe you get the guy gets dropped, comes back, and you know, the fight's going back and forth, and all of a sudden, as soon as the fight's over, the guy then staggers back, one of the guys. And it's like, ooh, what's wrong? And then he lays out. Then you get the stretcher out, and you take him out, and then he almost, then he then he passes away later. It's like those types of things are serious. When you see your guy taking too much damage, it needs to be taken. That needs to be taken note, and immediately you see he's taking heavy shots over the course of even five or six rounds. Time to just throw the towel in. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's pointless. And for those people who will complain, hey, look, at least he gets to fight another day. Maybe maybe live another day. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's like I said. This is a really dangerous sport. You know, the, you know. Shout out to the guys who actually do it. You know, like myself and and, and of course, uh, uh, different people that I know and family members and all. It's 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 a really really serious sport. 
you know, you, you, you take your heart, your life, and your hands, your hands every single time you go out there. So uh, uh, people just need to be a little more understanding to what's going on in the ring. Yeah, well said, Eddie. Well said. And um, you're, you're 100% right. Um, yeah, that is it, though, for the review part of the show. The final thing for me to do in this part is to welcome this week's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA super lightweight world champion. He's on the intro every week, the monster from the swamps, the Rougarou himself, Mr. Regis Progre. Regis, welcome back on the show, my man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me, bro. What's going on with it? Hey, not much, my man. It's good to have you back on. Uh, we last spoke back in March at that time. You were getting ready to fight Tyrone McKenna in Dubai. Um, right. I always felt that, that that fight would be one that you'd win quite easily. It turned out to be the case. You stopped him. You become the first man to stop him when you did in round six. Just tell me about that fight, though. It was obviously in Dubai, a place you really liked. Right. I love Dubai, bro. I you know, before the fight, I kept saying, man, you know, if somebody, somebody out there offer me the right deal, I might end up moving out there. I love, I loved it out there, bro. I love Dubai. And just on that fight, bro, like, um, it, it's, it's funny, you know, me and McKenna fought, but he ended up being, he ended up being one of my, my, the best opponents, bro. Like, as far as a likable person, like, I mean, you know, I had to, I had to whoop his ass, but at the same time, you know, it was, he was a real cool dude and, you know, it, it was, it was fun. And I, one thing I do plan on doing, I want to come. I want to go to Ireland and um, just go visit them out there, and you know, just make it a vacation. I'm a I'm a travel head. I love to travel, so you know that'll be. I think that'll be a fun trip if I can, you know, make a trip to Ireland. But you know, as far as the fight, bro, the fight, you know, it was it was cool. It was it was good. Um, I'm just glad, you know, I got that I got that over with, and then um, it was on to the next, which is you know, which is this fight for the belt. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. That's that's cool though that you uh. You know, you'd like to go to Ireland, obviously, and you're somewhat friends. That's pretty cool. Um, your next fight, as you mentioned, it's been announced. Obviously, you'll be boxing Jose Zapida November 26th in Carson, California, for the recently vacated WBC world title. Um, it's been three years now, just about, since you last boxed for a world title. So I'm guessing you're really happy to finally get this chance. Because remember, that fight with Josh Taylor was really, really close. And it's been three years right. of, of you being frozen and out really exactly bro you know like for me I, I feel like it was always gonna come you know I just for me for three years you know I've been I, you know as far as like everybody asked me have, have I been frustrated and the answer is like yes and no you know because personally I'm I'm doing great you know personally I always did I always you know was always did real good personally I, I, I keep my same lifestyle I travel I have a lot of fun with my lifestyle but as far as boxing um, you know, it, I guess it has been a little frustrating, you know, because I went from, bro, I was I was main event on all these different networks, and then after that, you take a loss, and it's like people just kind of throw you under the bus. That's how it is in boxing. It's sad, but I mean, I don't know why, but you know, I, I was on, I was on, I was main event on Showtime like four times, four, I think five times in a row, and um, then ESPN, then the Zone. I was all main event on it, and then after that, they just after I lost, they just kind of threw me under the bus, you know, and so. For me, it's been three years since, um, you know, since I was a world champion, and I just been working, man. For the most part, I shut up, and you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, as far as social media stuff, I don't complain too much. I just shut up and I put my head down and I work, and 
I'm just glad I'm getting this, you know, the title shot again and, you know, be back where I belong. I feel like I've been feeling like I'm the number one fighter in the world at 140. And, you know, this, I think after this fight, it'll, it'll solidify that once again. And tell me, Regis, how much do you rate Zapita? Good fighter. Good fighter, good fighter, good fighter. I mean, listen, you know, one thing, the, the credit I give him is that he earned his shot again. He got here again. But as far as me, listen, I, I just feel like I'm too much for him. I honestly feel like I'm too much. You know, he's been dropped. He's been hurt. Um, Me, i never been dropped. i never been hurt ever in a fight, you know. So it's just like, I just feel like, I feel like I'm levels, I really feel like I'm above him. Um as far as, you know, everything, power, skill, everything. And, um, but like I said, I, I do credit him on, you know, getting this shot. Like the, he, the, he definitely deserved the shot. If anybody in the world deserves a shot at the belt. It'll definitely be him, you know? So, um, you know, I, I give him his credit for that, but as far as fighting me, I just, I really feel like I'm just too much for him. Yeah. I mean, I rate him highly. I think, um, you know, um, there's a few guys, I don't want to be harsh here and call mm-hmm. Jose Vargas a pretender, but this is a guy who got in there, you know, looks fantastic, you know, gets in there, gets in with Zapita. Zapita just obliterated him in a round. It's almost as if, like, any pretenders who want to get in there, he will destroy them. That's how good oh, I think Zapita, Zapita can be, you know? Right, right, exactly. Like I said, you know, he did this thing against them, you know, but for me, he had a great knockout against Host Ray Vargas and he had a knockout against Iberanchek, but for me, listen, I'm not I'm not either one of those fights. And I don't think you I don't think both of those fights together still don't equal me, you know, with that with everything together. So, um, you know, I, I give him credit for getting this opportunity and getting it, you know, he does deserve a shot, but as far as going up against me, I just I feel like I'm too much. And yeah, you touched on obviously his fight with Baranchik was a fantastic fight. Um uh, one thing I want to ask you as well, Regis, obviously you're both Southpaws. Historically, Southpaw versus Southpaw tends to make a bad stylistic fight most of the time. It's not always great to watch, but he's never really in a boring fight. You're certainly never in a boring fight. I think this one will be exciting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it definitely should be an exciting fight. For for me, for however long it lasts, I feel. you know, I think it will definitely be an exciting fight, but... You know, we'll like I said, we'll see, man. I just I'm just excited to be getting this shot again. Like I said, I've been I've been training for three years for this one specific fight. You know, the people I fought, it wasn't for that. You know, it was to get the belt again, and I'm you know I'm fighting for the belt, and I'm happy about it. So, you know, everything for those three years I've been training is going to come out on November 26th. And have you thought about becoming champion again? The feeling of being a two-time world champion. And by the way, have you thought? further than that to maybe the next steps once you're a titleist again um i mean i i I, really not yet man you know listen the first time i was a champion i really didn't even cherish it you know i didn't even care about it you know so i'm pretty sure the the second time around it'll probably be more it definitely should be more sweeter because it's like i actually earned it this time i had to wait and i actually earned it the first time I'm not going to say it was given to me, but it was just, it was easy to get, I, I got to the title, it was an easy shot, Um, I had the, you know, I, I only got to the title, of course, because of the, the tournament, you know, Um, I fought Flanagan, then I fought Relic after that, and Relic was the, the champion, so I took the belt from him, and, but, you know, for me, it was, it was easy, and I didn't really, I didn't really, like, um, it was just like, I I was nonchalant about being a champion, but the second time around, I definitely think it'll be better, and, you know, the second part of the question, I'm looking forward 
Um, right now it's just a pay. The pay is the only thing on my mind. But of course, you know, in the back of my mind, you always think like, what's after? You know, what's next? It's a lot of it's a huge fight. I mean, I can I can count on my hand right now five really big fights. You know, like real big marquee fights, and then probably probably ten fights. But you know, five of them will be definitely be marquee fights. So of course, that's in the back of my mind. But you know, I don't like just like everybody else. It's cliche. You just don't want to get you know too much in front of yourself you know you just want to you just take it one fight at a time and that's what i'm doing i've been just training for me i've just been training like crazy for um zapata and you say there about five ten fights that could be mouth-watering in the future obviously we don't want to get into that too much like you say we don't want to get ahead too much but those fights do you see them at 140 or do you see them at 147 because i think maybe last time we spoke you might have i could be wrong but i feel like you might have had one eye on moving up soon um, I mean, for me, I, I can't, it's like, it's hard for me to think about moving up until I'm a champion again. You know, I had opportunities to go fight at 147, but you know, for me, I just, I won't be a champion at 140. So, um, it all depends. It all, I think it all depends what, you know, what's put on the table after the fight. But like I said, I can't really look at that right now. Cause the, the first thing, you know, Zapata is a, you know, he, he, he's a, he's a solid opponent and, you know, I have to get past him first before I even think about doing anything else. And you said as well, and I'm going to be brief with this, but you said that once you become a champion, you were very nonchalant about it. And I just want to say, I think that's that's really true. I mean, you've never changed since I've known you. Uh, you you've always been really cool, like to to speak to. And to be honest, I've interviewed hundreds of boxers. You're probably one of the guys who replies to a text message the quickest. So I'll give you that. You've never changed. <laughs> Stay the right, same, right. Regis. Um, yeah. Josh Taylor was, was um, I think, holding up the division a little bit. Obviously, he had all the belts. As fans, right, as fans, we did want to see the Jack Catterall rematch. But obviously, that, that sadly meant that people like yourself, like Jose Ramirez, like Jose Zapita, top guys in the division, were all coming off wins, but were all being forced into inactivity because they're kind of waiting around, not knowing what's going on. Um, right. I was going to say, has it been stressful? But I guess you've kind of gone into it. It was and it wasn't. Yeah, it's it just, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't. It's just like, for me, you, you don't really stress about things that you can't control, you know. I couldn't control none of that stuff, so I, I couldn't stress about it. What I could control is, you know, just me training every day. That's all, you know. So while all that stuff was happening, while all that stuff was going on, all I did, I just stuck to my, I, I just stuck to training, bro. Like, just, I just, I just kept training and, and, you know, changed some things up in my team and just, I just want, just got better, you know. Um, So, yeah, I think it was frustrating, but at the same time, it, it wasn't first. It's not like I could change anything. So it's like you could be frustrated all you want, but it's not gonna happen from it. So I really didn't worry about it. And Reed, just tell me that the the rematch with Josh Taylor is that a fight for you that needs to happen, or would you not be too bothered if we didn't ever see it again? No, I definitely. I feel like it has to happen. I feel like me and Josh Taylor have to fight again. You know, and that's why I stand at one. That's why I'm standing at one forty. I feel like you know. Um, it, I mean, I don't know. I don't know Josh Taylor. I don't know his team or nothing like that. But I don't know what he's. I, from what I understand, he's gonna move up after you know after this fight with Catterall. No matter what happens, he's gonna you know he's gonna he's gonna move up. But I mean, if if I'm if I'm a champion, um, if I'm a champion, well, I will be a champion again. And after that happens, you know, if me and Josh, and in, 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 if he is victorious against Catterall, imagine a, a 
uh, me and Josh Taylor too, you know, for unified again, you know, he'll be, he'll be champion. I'll be champion. Imagine that. Like, that'll be, I mean, that'll, that'll be huge. That'll be a huge fight. Like, why would you go to 147? Cause I, I mean, in, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, but I don't think he does good at 147. I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't think he can really, is the top, the top names at 147. I don't, I don't think he can really be good that good at 147. So, you know, um, I don't know, but yeah, I definitely want to. You know, I definitely want to um, fight him again. That if if I had a, a hit list, he'll be on. He'll be number one on my hit list for sure. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because even if he did move to one four seven, it's not like you're going to get a title shot anytime soon. We know that the top guys are really struggling to uh, to fight each other. There's a lot of politics yep. involved at the top, and there's a lot of guys as well in that queue. Um, an exciting addition to one forty. Uh, Regis is young Tiafimo Lopez. What kind of splash can you see him making at 140? I know he's fighting Pedraza December 10th, also. Uh, how do you see that one going? Um, he should be Pedraza. Pedraza's pretty much, I, I feel like Pedraza's pretty much done at the end of his career. He should definitely beat Pedraza. Um, listen, like Tiafimo, I think he's a good fighter. Um, but I just can't see him. I mean, let's, I, I'll, as far as his first grade at 140. I just can't see him getting in there with the big people at 140, the big 40 pounders, like, you know, like myself, like a Josh Taylor, like um, even Ramirez, um, Catterall, um, you know, they got some, even like a Zapata or something like that. I mean, they got some big, you know, big dudes at 140. And, you know, I know Tio, you know, we've been around, we hung around and stuff like that before. You know, he he's not that big of a guy, you know, so for him to come to 140 and beat the top 40s, I mean, I think it'll be hard, but I just don't think he has the frame. I don't think he has the frame for it. You know, he'll definitely have some success against some people, you know, like a Pedraza and stuff like that. But, you know, once he starts stepping up, um, I just, I, I just, I don't think that he can beat the, the, the big guys, the big 140s. But I could be wrong. We'll see. Yeah, you've got a point. I remember him struggling with, uh, struggling with um, Nakatani when he fought him. And obviously that was at 140. Yeah, you've got a point. Um, just finally, Regis, before we let you go, it's always great having you on. If you've got a closing message just to the listeners, um, say anything you like, my friend, before we let you go. I mean, I just, first off, you know, uh, of course, you know, you're in the UK, so I definitely, you know, that's, um, I always have love for the, the UK and stuff like that. I know y'all are tremendous boxing fans over there. That's why I definitely have love for the UK. I mean, just tune in November 26th, um, me, Regis Program versus Jose Zapata, you know, for the WBC title. You know, I'm looking to become a two-time world champion. And, um, yeah, that's it. Thank, I mean, I thank, for all the, I thank people for all the support so far, and I just ask for more support and continued support. And, um, you know, that just to get better and better and climb the ranks and being, you know, way bigger fights. But right now, two-time world champion, November 26th, Regis Program versus Jose Zapata. It's going to be a great fight, I believe, in the UK. We can watch it on Fight TV. But listen, Regis, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my man. You know that. Best of luck, November 26th, and we'll speak sometime after. All right, brother. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show, usually the news, but once again, there's no news to report at this stage, so if anything develops from now to the end of the show, then I will get onto it at the very end on the outro. Uh, Let's move to the preview part of the show. This one takes place tomorrow night at the mecca of UK boxing, York Hall, Bethnal Bethnal Green, London, where else? Um, On this card, we have Sean Noakes, 
that's the brother of Sam Noakes, 2-0. He gets in with uh, tough journeyman Peter Alexandrov, who is 4-23. and um, Alexandrov only been stopped seven times in 23 there. I'd want to stay away from that on the bets. Um, David Adelaide, the heavyweight, 9-0 and in a six-rounder against Elvis Garcia, who's 9-3. and Um He's Mexican, Elvis Garcia, could have guessed it. Uh, elsewhere on the card, friend of the show, Willie Hutchinson, 14-1, and one, steps in with Luca Spadaccini, who is four, sorry, 8-4 with three draws. That's over 10 rounds there for the vacant WBO Intercontinental Light Heavyweight title. Um, Spadaccini, never been stopped in his four losses, by the way, so maybe that could mean something. Um, Willie Hutchinson, obviously... Had a rough career, really, over the last year or two years or so. It's been slow, obviously got knocked out, and um, he's on the comeback trail now. And the main event, Nick Ball, um, 16-0, 12-rounder uh, here, if I'm not mistaken, for the WBC Silver Featherweight title against Jesus Ramirez Rubio, who's 21-1 and with three draws. Um... Sorry, 20 and 1, I think, with three draws. Um, on a bit of a run as well. Um, a few knockout wins in a row by the looks of it. Um, his one draw came to Brandon Herrera back in March of 2020. Um, he was an undefeated fighter at the time, um, Herrera. Um, one loss to Cesar Gonzalez. Uh, that was back in 2017. This could be a good fight. This could be a good fight. I've heard some things about this guy as well. 14 KOs from his 20 wins. Um, it's going to be interesting. Whenever Nick Ball fights, it's very interesting, actually. So, I tell you what, that's a tough old fight. I don't think the Mexican's been given too much notice. So, that'll work in Ball's favour. But, from what I'm hearing, there could be an upset on the cards. So, we'll see. I'm going to look into the odds on that one. Um... What else do we have? Uh, this one as well. It's also on Friday night tomorrow at the Sheffield Arena in Sheffield, Yorkshire, United Kingdom over here. Let's start with the... Mm, let's start with the... Let's start with the undercard. Yeah, let's start with the undercard. Lisa Whiteside. That's a lady I've heard a lot of good things about. She is 4-0. She gets in with Eva Cantos of Spain, who's 4-8 with a draw. Former opponent of Ellie Scottney. Never been stopped. That's over eight two-minute rounds there. Elsewhere on the card, brilliant undercard fight between Jack Bateson, 17-0, and Shabazz Massoud, 10-0. That's for the WBA Intercontinental Super Bantamweight title over 10 rounds. Really, really good fight. I mean, Jack Bateson, really good amateur. Shabazz Massoud, not sure how good he did as an amateur, but I've heard some brilliant things of him as a pro. So that is a great, great, great fight there. Great fight. I'm hoping the odds are close because it should be. Um, elsewhere on the card, we've got Thomas Asomba, 11-7 and seven with a draw. Uh, the tough man from Cameroon, now based in Sheffield, managed by Sonny Edwards. Um... Uh, current WBC flyweight, or sorry, IBF flyweight world champion. He he obviously beat Asomba. Now he's become his manager, and he throws him in there with Marcel Braithwaite, thirteen and three, a man that of course boxed Sonny Edwards as well and dropped Sonny Edwards as well, if my memory serves me right. Um, so yeah, two guys that 
both fought Sonny Edwards once before, both on the undercard, and now he manages one of them, only in boxing. That's over 12 rounds there. And then the main event, yeah, Sonny Edwards, 18-0, friend of the show, defending his IBF flyweight world title against Felix Alvarado. It's a brilliant fight. Felix Alvarado, 38-2, 33 KOs. You don't see it too often, that many knockouts down at flyweight. Um from Nicaragua, been around a long, long time, on a heck of a streak as well, hasn't lost since 2014, he lost two fights back-to-back in 2013 and 2014, um, and that was a long, long time ago, obviously, I don't need to tell anybody that, since then, he has been really impressing, um, I I think this is a really hard fight for Sonny Edwards, but I love the fight, you know, this is the kind of fights I want to see Sonny in, um, in, to be honest, because I like it when he gets in there with his style. He's so hard to hit. He's a brilliant mover, excellent feet. And I want to see him in there with guys that can, you know, turn your lights off in one shot. It's going to be exciting, I think, for the entirety of the fight. And yeah, Alvarado, I mean, super, super, um, um, uh, you know, experience on his side obviously former world champion has seen it all really he is coming to the end of his career after say 33 years of age as a flyweight you know it's, it's kind of old I guess really but um should make for a good fight nonetheless uh moving out now to this one it takes place on the Saturday at the Manchester Arena it's going to be live on Sky Sports let's talk about the main event Dalton Smith one of the brightest prospects that there really is in UK boxing at least he's 12 and 0 he gets in with Casey Benjamin who's 16 and 1 with a draw Dalton Smith like I say brilliant to watch every single time um it's a good step up. I like what they're doing with him. You know, a couple of good fights, really, in a row, I want to say. I, I remember he had a good fight against Ray Moylet, Samo Mason, now Casey Benjamin, who, you know, has proven decent guy. So I like that fight there. Um, what do we have on the undercard? We've got Natasha Jonas, of course, defending her world titles. I think she's got two of them these days, if I'm not mistaken. The WBC and WBO. She gets in there with the IBF champion Marie-Yves Decaire, who's 18-1. and one. Um, Her one loss came to Clarissa Shields back in March of 2021. She boxed Clarissa at 154. Obviously, um, yeah, Clarissa, I think, vacated the belts. Then she fought for a vacant belt last time out. Knocked out, by the way, Cynthia Lozano, who was an undefeated fighter, 9-0. And that was her first knockout, Marie-Yves Decaire. So she goes in against Jonas, 18-1, only one KO win, but it was her last fight. So maybe she's in good form. Maybe losing to Clarissa Shields was what she needed. It could be a tough fight there for Natasha Jonas, 12-2 with a draw. All the best to her, though. Elsewhere on the card, as well, great fight between Tyler Denny, the current English middleweight champion, 14 and 2 with three draws, getting in with friend of the show, the undefeated Mancunian Bradley Ray, 14 and 0. Um, really good guy, Bradley Ray. Had him on the show a, a good few times now. Really nice guy. All the best to him, of course. Elsewhere on that undercard, we have a brilliant heavyweight fight as well. There's still good money for you to back it for, for Fraser Clark to win this one on points. Fraser Clark, 3 and 0, gets in with Camille Sokolowski, the the uh, the heavyweight journeyman who causes almost everyone absolute nightmares. 11 and 26 with three draws. Um, always, always puts up a good fight there. So that should be interesting. Um, 
that's a good test there, really, for a guy that's only had three pro fights in Fraser Clark. And then moving to the final two cards that take place, both of them in the States. I'm going to start here with this one. It's a top-ranked show at the Palms Resort Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. Over here, Sinisa Estrada, the WBA World Minimum Weight World Champion, 22-0, gets in with Jasmine Villarino, who's 6-1 and one with two draws. Always good to see Sinisa Estrada fight. She looks like... Jennifer Lopez, she punches like Tiafimo Lopez. That's something I came up with. I know you like that one. And the main event. I like that. I like that as well. <laughs> and the main event, Zanibek Alim Kanuli, 12 and 0, um, obviously from Kazakhstan. Nobody wants to fight this guy. This is the guy that apparently Demetrius Andrade ran a million miles in the opposite direction to avoid. Um, we've seen him dispatch of you know, of Britain's Danny Dignam last time out back in May. He just wiped the floor with him. He really did. Um, and here he gets in with another Brit, another Brit who's massively up against it, this time in the shape of Denzel Bentley, 17-1 and with a draw, coming off a great win last time out, um, knocking out Marcus Morrison in four rounds. And obviously the win before that against Lionel Shudofia was really close. He did, of, of, of course, get, get knocked out himself in round three against Felix Cash, um, yeah, I mean it's a massive ask, but if Bentley, um, if Bentley can put hands on Alim Kanuli, then I I give him a decent chance. You know, Bentley can bang. There's no denying that, and that is pretty much his only chance because Alim Kanuli, I think, is a really special fighter, and it's for the WBO world min uh, world middleweight. Uh, title so yeah this is what you're in the sport for in terms of Denzel Bentley you're here to take the risks he's, he's, he's obviously got on a plane to Vegas and he's willing to put it all on the line here he's already lost his O you know so he's, he's going to give it his all I think against Alim Kanuli and all the best to him if he wins he becomes a star overnight I'd love to see him do it it'd be a huge upset though I'm not getting carried away and moving out now to the final card to mention I'm guessing it's going to be on the zone it's an Eddie Hearn show um, it's at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland, Ohio. Over here we have one of the brightest prospects in world boxing, Raymond Ford. 12-0 with a draw. Gets in with Sicaria Lucas, who's 25-1-1. One one. That's over 10 rounds there for the WBA Continental America's featherweight title. We also have on the card another really bright prospect, Richardson Hitchens. 14-0. A fight here for the IBF North American super lightweight title against Yomar Alamo, who's 20 one and one and the main event montana love um who i'm starting to warm towards to be honest with you um i remember him beating ivan baranchik and that was pretty much his breakout fight you know but baranchik seems like he's finished anyway obviously at this point he might have even retired he's he's been in some serious wars in his in his last few fights um but yeah montana love came through with a brilliant win that night he's now like i say 18 and 0 with a draw he gets in with australia's steve spark who's 15 and 2 we know that the australians always come to give it a good go chances don't really uh, come up too often for the Aussie boxers so they they tend to you know to pour it all out and put it all on the line so hopefully we see a good fight there in Cleveland and that main event by the way is for the WBA Intercontinental Super Lightweight title over 12 rounds um, and yeah big things for the winner I think there because everyone's kind of getting a crack at 140 at the moment we had Regis on obviously a little bit earlier in the show it is getting exciting that division and it seems like it's been exciting for a long long time anyway that concludes all of the talking in part 
one, we did the review part. We had our special guest, the Rougarou, Mr. Regis Progre. In part two, no news to mention, just the preview part. We've wrapped that up. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 369 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge shout-out to this week's special guest, the former super lightweight WBA world champion, Mr. Regis Progray. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. That's about everything from myself. No news to go over. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.